Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au horihori. Hei hōtaka e pānaki tō tātou au whānui. You're with Our Changing World on RNZ National, and now I'm delighted to have an artist on the show. Billy Apple is one of New Zealand's leading artists, and he was a finalist this year for the MetLife Care Senior New Zealander of the Year as well. He's well known for his collaborations with scientists, and we'll get to his latest in a minute. But first, what kind of an artist is Billy Apple? It's always been conceptual art. I mean, it's always been head over hand sort of thing. Right from the word go in 1960, I made a, a decision that the idea was paramount. So the practice has always been um, other people um, make, the, make it happen. Well, some of your recent collaborations have been with scientists. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I have collaborated in the past with scientists like... Back in '69, I think it was, I collaborated with Dr. Stanley Shapiro, who is a, uh, a physicist at uh, GTNE in, in, uh, in New York, and he discovered white laser light. But he uh, he assisted me in some very early laser pieces. One of them was to shine a laser, a very powerful laser, onto the moon. I've done a lot of works with other other scientists over the years. Conceptual arts, brainy stuff. Most arts sort of. Candy for the eye, really, you know. But I like to think mine looks like candy, but it's got you know, something, some grunt behind it. I would also have done my genome as well at Otago University, massive work. I did that in conjunction with a, a, a Dr. Craig Hilton. So you already had your genome sequenced. Why did you get that sequenced? Why not? It's, I'm interested in everything. But the grunt of these works is simply that it has information. The trouble with a lot of art, it's very decorative. My works may look decorative, but they do have a conceptual uh, bend. Creating a massive artwork based on his genome is just the latest in a series of artworks dating back to the 1960s in which Billy Apple puts himself at the centre. One of the early results was a series of artworks produced in the early 1970s called Excretory Wipings. That was one of a a group of works. It was really looking at um, myself as subject. And um, my habits, bodily habits. Every day I diaried my uh, toilet activities and my nose-blowing activities. Quite a lot of scientific precision in this then, dating things, timing things. Yeah, but conceptual art was a bit like that. I mean, one is very careful about proportions or measurements or or time. Time is always, always take a look at the time when something happens and uh, the date, always the date and time. Mm. So you ended up with all of these bodily excretions in a way, including from every time you wiped your bottom. Yep. You exhibited yep. all that work? I did in 1970. I, I re-exhibited at the Serpentine in 74 body activities, uh, nosebleeds, earwax extractions and masturbation, and they were presented in one massive gallery at the, at the Serpentine. And you kept all of these artworks? Yes, I still have them all. They're, they're works. I mean, you know, some people do drawings. I... Blew my nose. 
<laughs> did you have any inkling back then that one day you might use them for a completely different no, purpose? I mean, I mean I'm <laughs> delighted that 46 years later they came into play with a project with Justin. I mean, I'm still alive and could do a, a new one 46 years later so we could do a comparison. The Justin that Billy Apple mentioned is Justin O'Sullivan. Justin's a microbiologist at the University of Auckland and the Liggins Institute. He has a strong interest in genetics and he enjoys a good collaboration. That's a really interesting project because we got introduced to Billy um, through the Morris Wilkins Centre and Billy went to the Morris Wilkins Centre because he's been doing these art-science collaborations for quite a while. And he went there and um, he was talking to Peter Shepard and he said, uh, you know, I've got these toilet tissues from this excretory wipes exhibition that he did in the the 70s and he's got these samples, Um, is there anything we can do with them? And so... We said, sure, but as you do, we, we can sequence them. And so that, that's what, what, what we set about doing and comparing what he had from uh, 1970 with what he, what he produced and what was in his microbiota today. So what was so unusual about that artwork as far as you're concerned? To put it quite bluntly, no one keeps poo, right? It, it's something that we flush away, we throw it away all the time. And so for us, samples that are 40 years, 46 years old, you know, are, are amazing. It's just this resource. It's just phenomenal. You know, it's not something that we have. The the field, the microbiome field, and understanding the organisms that live on and in us, it's been going for a while. Um, but technology has driven a change in the way we address it, in the way that we can look at it scientifically. Um, and that's all come about largely because of the human um, genome projects where sequencing things developed and ways of sequencing things developed. And because of that, there's technology change. And that technology change has meant that we can now look at these microbiomes and organisms that live on and in us in a really different way. So that means that samples like Billy's, where we get something from 40 years ago, where this wasn't even on the radar, right, you know, 1970s, they'd, they'd just started sequencing. And so in that time period, it's shifted so much in what we can do. So these samples, no one ever really thought that this would be possible. So we got given this, this, this almost like it was a time capsule, right, from, from, from way back, 1970, you know, before I was born. It's just not something you get, you know. So the question that interested you was how does perhaps our microbiome change over time? And measuring that's difficult because we mostly know what our microbiome is now. Yeah. So we know what it is now, and we can get samples now, and we can keep doing that, but, you know. So we can go forward, but we, we can can't go, f- go backwards. Forward, we can't go backwards, that's right. So prospective studies are starting now, and they've, they've started a while ago, and, and they're collecting samples, you know, and so some people collected stuff out for six years and stuff. A group in the States did this, and they were able to show that over time, from one individual over six years, you know, your, your microbiome changes, and because that's what happens. You know, we, as we develop, as we age, as the foods that we eat change, as the environment changes, you know, the microbiome is the interaction or is the interface between you and your environment, your genes and your environment, and so it changes. For us, the question was, over this huge period of your life, 46 years of your life and of Billy's life, is it possible that his microbiome still stays the same, that there are some organisms that he keeps because it's necessary for him to have them, because his genome, his genes, actually select for some organisms? And so his samples gave us that opportunity to do that, to look at that, because Billy had also, um, through work that he had done with Craig Hilton and Peter Sy and other people, actually sequenced his genome as well. So we had this genome sequence, and we had his poo, and it's like, it was fantastic, yeah. So, so we sample A, 46 years ago, sample B now, 
What sort of changes did you see? Did you see changes? Oh, yeah, changes. So there are changes, definitely changes. So, but, but the key thing there wasn't the changes that occurred because, you know, unfortunately we can't link those changes to any changes in his diet or anything because it's such a long period, you know. And we know that diet, antibiotics, you know, everything changes things. But what we did see was that like 46% of the bacteria that were present in his 2016 sample were actually present in his 1970 sample. So he retained a group of organisms, and they stayed, and the same ones were there. So that's nearly half of his microbiome was the same. Yeah, so nearly half of it was the same. And it's awesome, right? You know, because when we looked at his genome sequence as well, there was a paper coming out from some uh, Dutch group uh, last year, and they showed that there were certain genes, and they correlated with the presence or absence of certain bacteria. And so with Billy, we were actually able to show that he had some of these variants, these genetic variants, these changes in his genome, and he had the presence or absence of that bacteria that this other paper showed as well. And that was cool, and that was in both samples way back in 1970 and 2016. So if it was absent, it was absent in both, and if it was present, it was present in both. It was awesome. It was really cool, yeah. But you've got no reason to believe that Billy isn't, in a sense, quite an average person, so you and I both might have reasonably significant amounts of our microbiome that have been with us for a very long time. Yeah, because the microbiome is not separate from you. You know, you really are just a walking ecosystem, right? So what interests Billy Apple about the difference in his microbiome from when he was 35 years old to when he was 80? The same things are there, but different proportions. I'd like some respect for these projects. That's the problem when it's an artist. It's all great, sort of always treated as though it's some sort of bloody joke thing. But in fact, uh, this is a deadly serious project. And I think the findings of... Justin and the team found it incredible, really. I mean, a real world first. And I, you know, I'm just so thrilled to be invited to be involved with it. I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. So if much of our microbiota sticks around for much of our life, when do we get populated with it? Oh, so there's some debate about when we get populated by our microbiomes, right? It's actually a really interesting question. And the obvious thing, you know, when we think about it, is that when you, you know, pass through the birth canal or you're taken out through C-section, you get populated as soon as you're exposed to those environments. But the reality of it might not be quite that simple in that there are studies that show very clearly that you're able to isolate bacterial DNA from meconium. And so meconium is that first black, tarry poo that they pass, you know. And in there, there's actually bacterial DNA. So we can detect that in that meconium now. And babies, when they're actually in the womb, they swallow amniotic fluid. So they start swallowing fluid, and they swallow quite a lot of fluid quite early on. So it's actually possible that they're populated when they're in the womb. But the question is whether it's an actual live colonisation or whether they're just exposed to bacterial DNA or bits of bacteria, you know. Going back to Billy Apple, if what you're saying about Billy Apple, he's got some genes which determine whether or not he's got some bacteria. So there's quite a strong genetic component to this, and is that overlaid with an environmental component in terms of what comes and goes in your microbiome? Yeah, so look, it's, it's easy to think that the microbiome is something that's imposed on us, you know, that we pick it up. That's always the, the terminology that's used is, oh, you know, you pick up your microbiome, you inherit your microbiome, you, you know, you get it from the surfaces, you get it from your pets, you get it from, you know, everywhere, right? And to an extent, I think that's true, you know, you do. You know, it's clear that we do. But this is a genetic component to it where you have genes and those genes are basically, they seem to be linked to the selection of, of some bacteria. And so how that works exactly, 
not not really sure, but but there is clear evidence that that's happening, and so it's not simply that this is imposed on us, but it's that we have this acting as an interface between our genes and our environment, perhaps. Billy Apple is one of the co-authors of the scientific paper that was published with the results of the study. Of course, he also responded in his own way, with an artwork that he presented to the Liggins Institute. On the left-hand side are two samples, pieces of used toilet paper with faecal samples from Billy. They are timed and dated, one from 1970 and one from 2016. On the right-hand side of the artwork are two colourful bar graphs, showing the identity and proportions of microbes present in his gut at the different times. The artwork is called N equals 1. As it says, N equals 1, there's nobody else. And the question is, why is there somebody in the first place? It was done as an artwork, and I kept the results. People don't keep samples like that, unless you're a nutter. But I'm an artist. I mean, there's lots of other works I've done where I keep samples of different things as well. Um, Always to do with myself. Otherwise, why would you keep them? You know, it's just information. I'm doing works about my eyesight now to do with my 2300 vision. And I've done a lot of works over the years, and I've gathered them all together. It's it's quite an amazing result as well. So there's there's enough information. You have to look out too far. There's enough information right at my fingertips. I think I could sit in an empty room and not look out a window and do it, carry on for the rest of my days. Billy Apple's an artist who's fascinated with science and who enjoys using himself as subject. And he's still curious about his microbiome. I think August of 16 we did that second test. Uh, but since then, in May last year, I had to go to hospital because of my gallbladder was, became septic and uh, eventually um, it was removed. And it was a big mess, so I said to Justin that we should redo the thing, and which he's agreed to do, and see whether or not, with the septic gallbladder removed, whether it's changed anything. Thanks, Billy. That was artist Billy Apple, and we also heard from Justin O'Sullivan at the Liggins Institute and the University of Auckland. And you can find a photo of the artwork N equals 1 and a link to the scientific paper at our webpage rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 5th of April 2018. You can find us online at rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World on the RNZ app, or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Radio Public please rate and review us. These help other people find us and we'd just like to share our podcasts with more ears. There are plenty of other RNZ podcasts to check out as well. If you have kids and need some ideas on coping with them, then Catherine Ryan's regular parenting segment on 9 to Noon is now a podcast called It Takes a Village. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Look forward to hanging out with you there. Bye for now. Hey, corner mine.